Hello and welcome to Will We we Make make It it Out Alive? I'm Amy, the poop detective. And I'm Jen, the magical mapper. Welcome to episode 19, Surf Riding to a Cleaner, More Plastic-Free Environment. Although we had planned on going right into part two of our spotlight on plastics, after we interviewed Liz with the Surfrider Foundation, we decided we had enough juicy bits for a whole episode. Lots of juicy bits. Mm-hmm. Next month, we are planning on focusing on Long Live the Kings, so we can remind you all about the Survive the Sound program, which has their sign-up in April, and then the actual race. Is race the right word for it? I wasn't I sure. So. In In May, where the fish are racing out of the sound and hopefully surviving. Right. Then, after that, we'll finally get back to part two of our plastic spotlight in May, where we'll be talking more about the great plastic recycling myth and getting deeper into plastics and their impacts on the environment and human health. We will not have a GIS segment this month. Sad. I know, but I will share a cat fact. Yay! You know that they revered cats back in ancient Egypt. But did you know that when a person's house cat passed away, the owner would shave their eyebrows to reflect their grief? No, I did not know that. Mm, I think we should bring that tradition back. I feel like some people do that, so maybe they've been mourning their cats and I just thought they were weirdos. Right, exactly. Don't judge. I'm such a jerk. You're such a (laughs) jerk. Don't judge, Amy. (laughs) So last month we shared some background on plastics, how plastic recycling isn't working and the plastic ban from china and oh a bunch of depressing plastic facts yeah a lot so if you haven't listened to that episode and want a little more background before we delve into this episode check out episode 18 first in this episode we interviewed liz with the olympia Surfrider chapter and discussed a little background of Surfrider programs available with them, and some of their work around plastic pickup and opportunities for you to get engaged by volunteering. Yeah, it's fun too. Yeah, it was, I, it was a fun interview. Yeah, but before we delve into this episode, we wanted to provide an update on episode 17, The Partnership in the Sound, A Love Story of Recovery. We received feedback from the Puget Sound Partnership on the chemicals in salmon indicator, which we had questioned, well, Amy had questioned, whether, Accurate. <laughs> whether it was appropriate to use insufficient or no data for the progress. Here's what Natalie Hamill from the partnership said, quote, Allow me to clarify one of our toxics in fish vital sign indicators, contaminants in adult salmon. The reason why the progress conclusion is insufficient or no data is because there aren't results yet that allow us to show whether contaminants have declined or increased in the fish. On the podcast, you questioned that conclusion and that it should be mixed. Well, it can't be as progress asks the question around change over time, and we don't have the data yet to say that. There's no mistake there. Not that we're perfect or anything. End quote. Yeah, so we also make mistakes, and we wanted to share that corrected information when we become aware of those mistakes, because that's how science do. And just to kind of clarify where we were coming from, or apparently where I was coming from now, according to Jen, (laughs) it appears that there were monitoring results from the 1990s and 2003 to 2004. So I had assumed since 
there was data that the newer data collected in 2016 and 2017 would be showing the progress from the earlier monitoring events. But what I think the Puget Sound Partnership is saying is that they were counting the 2016 and 2017 monitoring as the baseline, and no additional monitoring for PCBs and PBDEs has taken place since then, so there's no new data to show whether these contaminants have increased or decreased from the 2016 to 2017 monitoring. That makes sense. And if the partnership is listening out there and and that's not correct, please feel free (laughs) to correct us again. Yes. So just to get us a little warmed up, I wanted to talk about some of my first experiences with beach plastics to hopefully help illustrate how long this has been an issue, even in remote parts of the globe. So my first experience with plastics in the ocean was over winter holiday in 97 to 98. When I went to visit my family that lives in Indonesia. Lucky. And, right, we started on the island of Bali, which is known for its tropical beauty and turquoise blue waters. And I just want to reiterate, this was over 20 years ago. And as we learned in the last episode, we've really only been mass producing plastics for about the last 50 years. And I actually was thinking about another thing. When I was traveling a lot in Mexico and Central America in the early 2000s, they were still largely using glass bottles when we were there at that point in time. Oh, yeah. And there was a huge push from Coca-Cola, mostly, to move into plastics. And there was actually a ton of pushback in Mexico. Well, a lot of people actually just like the taste of soda better out of a glass bottle than plastic. Yeah. Yeah. But so there was a lot of pushback on that. And I, it's kind of funny now in hindsight, it's like, wow, if they could have just stopped it then and not switched over to plastic, like how much better things would be right now. But yeah. anyways, I've been a scuba diver since I was 12 and I was very interested in what would have been my first warm water dive because I grew up diving in cold water lakes in the northern U.S. and then the first time I actually got to go in salt water was in the very balmy Puget Sound um, <laughs> so for balmy. my advanced open waters. Yes. But when we were there, there was so much garbage and plastic in the water and on the beach that not only did I not go diving, we didn't even go swimming in the ocean while we were there. Wow. That's... It was super sad. When was that? It was the very end of 97. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so in Indonesia, you didn't get to go. Yes. Oh, yes. wow. Yeah. Then, in 2004, I was visiting the east coast, east slash north coast of Honduras with my dad, and we went there specifically to go diving. We started out on the Caribbean side of the country, outside of a small town called Trujillo, which is about halfway between the borders on the northern east side of the country. We stayed at a place called Casa Kiwi, which was a hotel owned and operated by a New Zealander living in Honduras. Clever name. Right. And the hotel itself sat beyond this small town on a bay. And there is kind of like, it's a bay that goes out to a sand spit. So there's there's a spot where water can kind of flow and get stuck in. Mm -hmm. But again, we're like outside of a very small town and there was nothing else out that was like us and sand in this hotel, basically. Wow. And they're just like beautiful white sand beaches and We were only there for one night because we were taking a flight to Guanaja Island, so we didn't have a ton of time there, but we did get just a little bit of time to explore the beach, which at first it just appeared to be an uninhabited, pristine, white sand beach. 
But once we got down to the place where the tide touches land, you can see what appeared to be kind of normal rack lines. Oh, whack fact. The rack line is a line of debris left on the beach by high tide. And it's usually made up of floatable organic debris like eelgrass, kelp, crustacean shells, feathers, and more insidious litter like bits of plastic and other floatable garbage. Right. So that rack line, which normally is kind of like brown and natural looking, which is what it looked like at, you know, from a, a little bit away. Mm -hmm. But then when we got closer, it was just littered with plastic. And like normally I would go barefoot to walk along such a beautiful sugar sand beach. Mm -hmm. But the garbage made me a little bit concerned. And then I started seeing uncapped used hypodermic needles. Ooh. And yeah, then I was like, okay, so we're not taking our shoes off here. Yeah, no. And at the time, I still hadn't had a ton of experiences like that, so I, I was taken aback. We'll have some photos actually in our show notes of what this beach looked like 16 years ago. During the same trip, we went and visited two other islands, Roatan and Utila, and when we were snorkeling off Utella, we actually were snorkeling in a swirling swarm of plastic debris. And wow. the island was already totally aware that they were having issues with plastic. They were already trying to, like, minimize plastic waste and encourage recycling. But basically, it's a very small island. They had basically no capacity to landfill or the funds to ship the garbage back to the mainland. So a lot of it just went out to the ocean. Wow. Even then. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. So now that I've warmed you up with some slightly depressing information about plastics and how long they've been an issue, even in some remote places, let's talk about one organization that is working in our communities to do something about plastics and garbage on our beaches. Yay. So we thought this month, since we were talking about plastics, we'd interview Liz from Surfrider Foundation Olympia. And we're going to ask her a little bit more about their organization and some of the experiences with plastic cleanups and uh, plastic bans. Welcome, Liz. It's great to be here. Can you briefly introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name is Liz. I'm a biologist, an educator, and I also dabble in GIS. So that's Ooh. fun. So I was super excited to find your podcast. I have been binging it um, and I highly recommend it. And um, Yeah, exactly. And right now I'm actually a biologist for the state and I survey streams and assess culverts for fish passability. So What? We need to talk to you. I know. We I have know. questions about ranking for culvert removal. Okay. But yeah, so I'm originally from Florida um, and so I'm insane. No. Uh, I've... <laughs> I've been able to do a lot of really cool field science all over the world um, and on islands also covered in plastic trash. So it's something that I'm particularly very interested in and passionate about. And I've been in Olympia about two years now, I think. So I'm fairly new to the area. Um, but Welcome. Thank you. I like it. It's crusty and fits my personality <laughs> really well. So in addition to my job that pays me, I also am the volunteer coordinator for the local Surfrider chapter. Um, and... Surfrider Foundation is a nonprofit grassroots activist network that is dedicated to the protection and enjoyment of the world's oceans, waves, and beaches. Um, so, yeah. It was founded in 84 in response to threats by coastal development to people in Malibu, California's like favorite surf spot. Um, and it's just grown tremendously since then. And so, um, it's mostly national, but there are some international 
chapters here and there, and it is organized chapter by chapter. So there's 82 chapters throughout the states, and we have five in Washington. Um, so we have one in Olympia, Bellingham, Seattle, Tacoma, and the Olympic Peninsula. So like uh, Port Angeles. Oh, wow. Yeah. So none on the coast. Well, well, Port Angeles does sort of the northern coast of the peninsula, but yeah, yeah there's none on the southern, southern coast half of the coast. state. Is How yeah, yeah. Um, but that being said, our our chapter does do a lot of cleanups in Westport. That's our surfing beach for right. this community. So, did you tell us where you went to school? So I went to undergraduate at University of Florida and a graduate in sustainability and conservation biology mm. from the University of Maryland. Wow. And a GIS certificate from there. Yay, GIS. Yay. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your organization's different programs. Yeah, so Surfrider Foundation nationally. So if you go to surfrider.org, there are tons of different campaigns and programs that they're doing um, that align with the designated mission statement. Um, But if you go to olympia.surfrider.org that's our local chapter so each chapter is given the complete freedom to identify what issues are relevant to them and their area and so the programs that we like follow through on and work on are we have an ocean friendly restaurants program a hold on to your butts program uh, blue water (laughs) task force and uh, rise above plastics which is sort of just sort of an all-encompassing term that works on uh, like legislation and outreach and raising awareness about plastic pollution so, so, yeah, those are our main programs. I can talk about them more. I mean, I'm sure people are going to have some questions yeah. about the Save Our Butts program. <laughs> people be you, Amy? Maybe. Yes. Hold on to your butts. Hold on to them. So the Hold On To Your Butts program is basically working to address the unique problem of cigarette butt waste around the world, essentially. It is the most littered item on Earth, our cigarette butts. Um, And in the top 10 beach cleanup reports that come out from various agencies that collect that sort of data, cigarette butts are almost always the top item, if not top three. And it's weird because the people who normally wouldn't throw trash on the ground will still flick their butts on the ground. So it's kind of this weird psychological niche for people to litter. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I said interesting. Amy wants to start a drinking game where every time you drink, every time I say interesting. So I'm- every time I knock the mic, one team <laughs> drinks. And every time Jen says interesting, I just knock the mic while I was saying that. Uh, then the other team drinks. It's it's one of those, you know, competitive like drinking games. That's also awesome because you get to listen to us. need. More <laughs> right. reasons exactly to drink. right? <laughs> So the programs that the local Olympia chapter of Surfrider works on is we have the Hold On To Your Butts program, and we work with the city of Olympia to establish and set up uh, cigarette butt canisters throughout downtown. And then the city of Olympia's clean team, if you haven't seen them, they're like people in blue vests and jackets that wander around and clean up the streets and recycle things and clean graffiti they're great they're awesome it's a great program Um, and they empty our cigarette butt canisters downtown Um, and then we also organize a number of butt pickups so we try to do local cleanups because we do a lot of beach cleanups out at Westport and we have done some cleanups in the inlet and butt inlet but there's a little bit of a biohazard issue involved with that and so really I've moved here more recently than the last cleanup we've had in the sound here but um, needles and stuff are we don't want our volunteers to have to Right. 
Uh, anyway, yeah, so we have a couple butt pickups planned every year, and that's a pretty new thing. We started doing that last year, and it's it sounds gross, but it's actually really satisfying and soothing. Right. I did it, and I, like, we have, like, gloves and pickers, like, trash pickers, mm-hmm. like, T-Rex extender arms, yep. and, nice. uh, and I just, like, put it in some headphones and some jammed out to some music or some, how are we going to make it a live podcast, and right. just, like crank through and pick up all the cigarette butts and it's it's actually really satisfying anyway so we have a couple of those scheduled every year at least uh, so people can clean up their local community without having to drive to the coast and did you just have one or do you have one coming up we have one coming up yeah so our world water day is march 22nd oh so it's a sunday from 12 to 1 30 okay um and this information will all be on our our website but yeah we'll meet at Mm -hmm. city hall pass out buckets and clickers because we want to count how many butts you pick up and then we weigh it because data right nerds um and so cool and then one of our ocean-friendly restaurants often offers us a discount on some post-cleanup beverages. So nice. the last one we did, Stellar Juices is a new juice bar downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's doing like a ton of stuff to be sustainable. And for especially for a smoothie bar, a juice bar, like he doesn't do plastic cups and he's removing plastic straws and he gives you a discount for bringing your own cup and things. And so nice. um, very so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So segueing into ocean-friendly restaurants, so that's a certification program that Surfrider offers where a restaurant can pay a minimal annual fee, and then they have to meet five criteria and then get to choose from a couple other criteria. So the things that they have to do are they can't have styrofoam. Um, they have to utilize proper recycling practices, although, you know, nowadays yeah, who knows what that really right. means. It's not uh, really all that helpful. Definitely listen to the recycling episode because that's <laughs> good right. stuff to know. Only reusable foodware is used for on-site dining so you're not going to get served on a styrofoam plate if you're eating in they don't offer plastic bags with to-go orders and if you want to-go utensils you have to ask for them because you know when you get like takeout they usually like put in a bag and throw a bunch of silverware in there like plastic right. stuff and you're like i don't want yeah. any of this i don't yeah. now i'm nice, so guilty. you guys may might want to look to what eugene just did actually so they banned plastic bags in oregon and it's some restrictions on single-use mm-hmm. plastic so they're not a allowed to just give them out automatically people have to ask for them if they want them but they are still allowed to give them out so i guess it's not quite a ban but so it's a citywide yeah regulation kind of type thing yeah interesting and there's oh, it. <laughs> very interesting yeah, jen right. i hope you all drank all you interesting gens <laughs> anyway so yeah, so uh, restaurants can sign up to be ocean friendly, and then we try to hold all of our Surfrider meetings, which are two every month, one open to the public and one for our executive committee, which are the core volunteers that run the chapter. And then we try to spend our money at the ocean friendly restaurants, and we promote them on social media and things like that. So um, yeah, check out your ocean friendly restaurants. Yeah. There's a there's a web mapping application online Surfrider. Nice. And I'm actually working on a web map for our local chapter so people can see. Um, I've kind of made it behind the scenes, but I'm trying to get it to play nice with WordPress, and it's not. So, Oh, no. Hopefully there will be a map <laughs> soon that you can play with. I'm looking forward to that. Yay, maps. Yeah, so that's the Ocean Friendly Restaurants program. Um, I'm trying to think the Ocean Friendly Restaurants in Olympia now are... Oh, I'm going to fail this quiz because I'm not entirely sure who's renewed this year already <laughs> oh. and who hasn't. But Stellar Juices, Batdorf and Bronson, which are a great coffee. Uh, three Magnets, we go to a right. lot. Pizzeria La Gitana. Uh, I know Gardner's and Italia Pizzeria. Christine is our Ocean Friendly Restaurants coordinator. And so she she has all that information. And she wasn't able to make it today. Aww. So. 
Um, but yeah, there's a list on, on our website of all of our ocean-friendly mm-hmm. restaurants. Did you say Cascadia Grill? Sorry, I wasn't listening because I was going to the interweb. So excuse me if you did just say all these gardeners. You did say. S- sounds about Thank right. You. Yeah. <laughs> Chelsea Farms. Yes. Chelsea Oyster House. Oyster Farms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's what I see on the website. Sorry. Excellent. Good to know. Uh, uh, so yeah, so we have Hold On To Your Butts, Ocean Friendly Restaurants. And then we also have our Blue Water Task Force. And that is a community scientist volunteer run water quality monitoring program. And so... So you can be a poop detective too? You can be a poop detective. We will train you and show you where to collect poop samples or hopefully a lack thereof. <laughs> so this organization sounds just right up both Amy's and my alley. Yeah, we do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. With the maps and the poop detecting. <laughs> I and- well, I think it's great. And I'm really excited that we can share this opportunity for people in our community to be able to plug into this kind of stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it. And um, we're always looking to expand and grow our presence. So if anything I talk about interests you, send us an email at olysurfwriter at gmail.com. And we'll put that link and yeah. all of these links on our in our show notes. I'm going to have to make sure our website is up to date. Because <laughs> that's my job when I'm not working my job. <laughs> so Yeah. Uh, so are those all of your programs? So those are the main ones we do. And then we also have Rise Above Plastic, which is sort of just this effort to eliminate marine plastic pollution. And it's mm-hmm. all about raising awareness. And so we do a lot of tabling events. Um, and so, you know, when we have beach cleanups, we'll have a bunch of literature and tabling information. Um, I just worked an after hours event at the History Museum in Tacoma, which has some really cool after hours programs. It's called History After Hours. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, the next one, I think, is like women's suffrage kind of thing. And Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> you did it. Again. Um, but they, have, they have a shipwrecks exhibit at the history museum right now and so one of my friends coordinates those events and she was like surf rider should be here i'm like yes we should and so i was tabling there and trying to really bring people's fun down talking about plastic pollution uh, no it was great it, it, it is really great. a little depressing it really it is, is. It is um and in addition to raising awareness we also fight to reduce the use of single-use plastics or disposable plastics and so um surf riders we have a policy employee in the state of washington so um gus gates is a guy who gets paid to work for surf rider and promote things like um limiting offshore like preventing offshore infrastructure in uh, oil exploration and things like that like so we don't get oil rigs off our coasts and um there's a lot of work right now being done in the session to roll out a styrofoam ban yeah yeah um and then another great resource is zero waste washington they do a lot of really really good stuff as far as limiting plastic waste and all sorts of waste medical waste electronic waste oh interesting okay (laughs) that's really cool So if you're interested in numbers, <laughs> the Oh, you know we are. <laughs> I know. Surfrider <laughs> publishes an annual State of the Beach report, um, but that has a lot more to deal with like sediment development, shoreline armoring. Definitely Ooh. check it out. Um, and they grade beaches throughout the states like A through F. And is that put out by the national surf rider? Yeah. So that's okay. a national one. And then okay. their national website also has, um, I think it's cleanups.surfrider.org. And you can see basically real time data of what surf rider has cleaned up off of beaches. So cool. I have the counter up right now. As of 2020, 
16,548 pounds of trash and recycling have been removed by 2,400 volunteers and 77 cleanups so far this year. That's so just that's in so 2020? Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's what their web app says. I mean, that's crazy. Well, it's yeah. sad that that much has been cleaned yeah. up already, but it's also it's very cool. cool. I, obviously, I know it's, it's one of those things where it's like, obviously, we love that people are dedicated to go out there and try to make this horrible situation a little bit better. But dang, it's so I went to a Surfrider conference this past summer and Chad is the CEO and he was talking about and he had all these fun little infograms like these are all this amount of trash we picked up and all the volunteers. And then he was like. 35 years old that's how surf rider is um and wow. in the 35 years we've been cleaning trash off the beaches it's equivalent to like i think he was like 30 minutes of what goes into the ocean every day oh. it was like and like we were in a huge filled auditorium and i was like why didn't you show that something like you're saving yes. lives of wildlife that's Absolutely. not getting entangled Absolutely. and we call it like it's like the gateway drug like cleanups are visible they make you feel good they make our areas look and f cleaner and feels and they are safer but it's just it's a band-aid on a broken leg like it's not right it's not actually addressing the problem and so you you hook people with the cleanups and then you get them to become more involved with legislation and raising awareness and whether you're a business owner or a restaurant owner or a politician like or just a housewife or a mom or whatever like everybody right. can do something so mm. so yeah we're all doomed we're not going to make it out alive that's just that's just what i tell like students <laughs> and the public right. deep down i'm just like my soul is buried in microplastic uh. have you heard like the stat about us eating a credit card's worth of microplastic a week i, have, I mean i haven't heard that but yes we we don't have any idea really i mean we understand endocrine disruptors obviously but like we don't really have any idea what that's doing to us like it is something that i think should be way bigger news than it is like it yeah it's absolutely terrifying i'm painfully aware of it it's in our salt right it's in like alpine retreats that no human goes to it's in the bottom of the sea it's in, it's the in antarctica it's in the sky like yeah. it's aerialized and it is terrifying i work uh as a part-time contractor at the estuarium sometimes doing like uh -huh. k through 12 oh, yep. education and leading beach like surveys and we teach students how to like survey crabs and stuff and it's really fun it's a great organization that does a lot of great educational outreach but one of the women that works there is like she studied microplastics and oysters and she was like there's i think 10 pieces of microplastic in every serving of oysters right uh yeah so i just i just saw you give a really cool presentation and in that presentation you mentioned some results that happened from different campaigns can you talk about some of those things yeah so when i was working for the university of maryland as a graduate teaching assistant i taught sustainability 101 and we did a lot of fields hands-on experiential learning stuff and so we would partner with the anacostia watershed society which takes care of the anacostia river which is a pretty big tributary to the potomac and they have a trash trap and they were able to collect all the trash coming out of different tributaries and they analyzed it and they just you know they identified like the the major pieces of trash that were contributing to this this waste and so the number one 
thing was bags. And so then they established a bag fee. You know, they directed their efforts to legislating a bag fee. And after that bag fee, they saw, a, I think, a 72% reduction in the plastic bags. I mean, that that's not very much. Only 72%. <laughs> right? So wow. Was, and I don't, you know, I'm not entirely sure how many years that took. I think it, you know, a couple years maybe sure. because, you know, they usually try to implement that stuff like over time. I mean, compared to Jen's lifetime, that's just a blink of the eye. (laughs) Uh, I wish you could see my eye roll. I can feel it. I can feel it. It shook the table. It shook the table. In their studies, they also noticed that styrofoam was the second most common item they found. And so then they focused their efforts after they got the bag fee implemented and banned styrofoam. And then they saw, I think it was, they went from like 22 to 5% of the trash that was being collected in the trash wow. trap. Yeah. And then the third offender was plastic bottles. And the bottle lobbying <sighs> industry is very strong. Mm-hmm. But the moral of the story is... The reason we do these cleanups, I know I mentioned that like they're just a tiny drop in this horrible giant plastic bucket, but they do show other people that there are people out there who care or are doing something. And I think that's so important to combat this like the conservation blues is what I call them of like just the overwhelming crushing depression of like, oh, God, these problems are so huge and we're never going to fix them. Um, But there are people out there working to do that. And we collect that data, like all the Surfrider data, we enter it into a database and it's a huge Mm -hmm. pain in the butt. But because of that, we can go to to politicians and legislators and be like, here's the data. This is how problematic these few items are. And the top 10 items are almost all food related. It's plastic bottles, lids, disposable cups, foam cups, straws. Plastic wrappers, food wrappers, chips, mm-hmm. candy wrappers, and, and cigarettes, cigarette which butts. are delicious. Delicious cigarettes. No. To eat. So no. good. If you're a sea turtle, I used to work at a sea turtle uh, rehab facility in the Keys, and uh, we had a turtle come in with like, I think it was like 270 cigarette butts in his uh, stomach. Oh my gosh. Oh, well, big, and I mean, he's a big loggerhead. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing, right? Is that so many of these animals end up eating these pieces of plastic, and oftentimes they can't process them so they just sit in their stomach taking up space so they can't get the nutrients that that they need it's just so sad so very sad i like to point out because we all have different things that we value and so for me knowing that wildlife is suffering like that's enough for me to act and spend my free time and my weekends out doing this stuff and preaching the gospel of like eliminating plastics some people don't care about polar bears and seals and birds and stuff and that's fine but you might care about your kids and what they're eating if it's in all of our table salt and it's in our air and it's in our water it's in our food like this is a problem that we are going to deal with in our own bodies in our own lives and it's not just this distant problem in a far distant ocean you know so that's something that i try to like relate to people and be like this should matter to you we're all dying we're well and now that we know that we're all eating (laughs) a credit card worth of freaking microplastics every week i mean that just my mind explodes when i think about it i know so another great resource that uh, is an organization completely devoted to the marine debris issue and plastics is Ocean Conservancy. And they've been around since 86, and they've been publishing reports on their cleanups. They organize the International Coastal Cleanup Day, which is something we'll have a cleanup in Westport, and I think it's in September. They have a lot of data, and they also have an app 
That's the Clean Swell app that you can just download. And if you do your own beach cleanup by yourself, you can still enter it. Um, and Jen yeah. and I literally were doing beach cleanup last week at the yeah. beach we were at. We've been strong proponents of the pickup at least three pieces with mm-hmm. everybody that goes to the beach with us now. Mm-hmm. And pretty much nobody stops at three pieces, which I think no. is kind of awesome. It's like once no. they pick up the three, they're like, well, there's like a million more here. So I might as yeah. well grab this other stuff, which is really cool. Yeah. The tricky part with collecting beach data is counting and weighing it are kind of two different efforts that right. give you two different pieces of information. And weight can be a lot easier and faster. But obviously, if you're picking things that are soaking wet, that's going to really skew the weight of things. And so it can be a little challenging to, to collect all that data. So it is super helpful when we have beach cleanups for people to not just help clean up the trash, but dig around in it and count it and sort it and weigh it. So if you're into that sort of nerding out with us, please, please hang out with us and do that. Because that's something that takes two people a very long time to do. <laughs> I've got a dad joke. Yes. Plastic straws, they suck. (laughs) It's more of like a poem. That reminds me of when I went to the store the other day and I got some fish and I asked the guy at the store if I could get a bag with the fish and he said, yeah, it's already inside. Oh, God, I just hit my mic and tipped it over and did all sorts of stuff trying to do Did this. you just drop the mic on that joke? <laughs> I think she did. I read that same one on the 79 <laughs> I maybe was on the same website as you. I was kind of feeling like, uh... Hey, why do plastic knives need to be banned? Because they're just not cutting it. Oh. <laughs> that was a good one. That yeah. was a good one. What upcoming volunteer opportunities do you have and how can people get involved? So we are always looking for volunteers, especially, like I said, for cleanups and sorting trash because it's so much fun and picking up cigarette butts because it's like a wholesome family activity. (laughs) Um, um, We are starting our new Olympia Surfrider Cinematic Series. I'm trying to spell it with an S-E-A. Series? Series. I don't know if that's going to, if I haven't actually consulted the rest of the executive committee. I like it. I I just went rogue and I started calling it that. But we want to start having a regular movie night because I love documentaries and movies and we're going to try to strike a balance between cripplingly depressing conservation documentaries versus maybe some surf videos and something fun and cool. We have a couple of those pinned for like some shorter ones that we're going to kind of sprinkle throughout. The one February 26th is going to be Fish People. That sounds good very cool. Yeah. So that will we'll... be, of course, released prior to this episode. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's right. Guys, we had so many cool people turned out for movie night. <laughs> <laughs> we had the best Q&A. <laughs> we had world-class free divers with spear guns shooting targets, moving targets that were on fire. Whoa. <laughs> and on mermaids. underwater. <laughs> and we brainstormed and we came up with a solution to the marine debris problem. Uh, well, that's a very happy ending to all of that. <laughs> I can dream. And then our chapter meeting for March is the 26th, and we have the Olympia High School Climate Action Club. They're pretty cool. Yeah, they've been doing yeah. some amazing stuff. And so we're going to invite them to talk about what they've been doing, like basically bullying our legislators to like <laughs> protect their future. And they've been pretty effective. So How dare they? You young whippersnappers. You don't know how life is. What do you want? <laughs> to be able to breathe in the what future? Do you want clean air? God, you millennials. We didn't breathe when I was a kid. I can't breathe right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's 
sad and funny uh. and interesting. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Let's see here. I, I ended up getting lost in like holes of like, so like Coca-Cola supports and funds a lot of like beach cleanups and like, o- like they're a big partner for Ocean Conservancy and stuff. They also created the America the Beautiful campaign. I mean, they are yeah. horrible players, but they know that this public image of like helping out makes them seem not so bad. Well, what I wanted to do is figure out how much they spend on helping recycling programs and cleanups versus how much they spend lobbying against right. bottle bills. Because that's... Right. Because, you know, like, cigarette companies would spend $2 million promoting the fact that they donated, like, $200,000. Well, so that's the thing, yeah. right? Coca-Cola actually worked with Philip Morris and then some other super sketchy corporation uh, in the 80s to basically sell the American public on how the end product, the garbage, should somehow be our responsibility, thereby removing all of these industries and manufacturers from having to absorb that final cost and thereby having no reason. I mean, why not have it disposable throwaway once you don't have to ever deal with it again? Make us try to deal with it which obviously we failed because it was a scam from the get-go it is it's a total conspiracy yeah follow the money no if i had my magic wand i would have extended producer responsibility all day long like the people who make those products should pay for cleaning them up out of the world yeah i think it would certainly change things a lot quicker than a lot of these other efforts as you've kind of described them which are more like band-aids for the situation versus actually getting to the root of the problem which is that we should just stop having plastics as much as possible in everything band-aid solutions because change is hard right uh, anyway, back to our regularly scheduled yes. events. Oops, sorry. <laughs> On April 5th, we're having another movie night at the Capitol Theater that is Diving Deep, The Life and Times of Mike DeGry. Ooh. I hope I said that right. Um, so he was like a big underwater filmmaker who contributed to like Blue Planet and National Geographic and BBC stuff. Um, and he was just super enthusiastic and deeply committed to showing people an intimate version of you know underwater pretty much dream job type stuff yeah no basically yeah he was just like a very charismatic guy who loved the ocean and loved convincing other people to love the ocean so i'm excited to to see that and any show at the capitol theater is always a a good show absolutely um and then after that we have uh, i know cleanup for earth day that's gonna be in late march and then we also have uh you know washington coastal cleanup day is going to be april 18th which is a saturday so we'll probably be in in twin harbor state park or westport uh, by the lighthouse and you'll see our surf rider blue tarp and we'll be digging through the trash that you bring us and we're gonna have links to all these great events or to their website whichever makes the most sense and we'll also try to uh blast you guys on facebook when these events are actually happening to remind you so yeah if you're interested in surfrider and the work we do we have our events calendar at olympia.surfrider.org and then we have a monthly newsletter that you can sign up for on that website um, and then you can always send us an email at olysurfrider at gmail.com um, we also have a facebook and an instagram olysurfrider nice. all around awesome so yes. do you have any opinions on uh, who might win in a fight a trash panda or a farm salmon so when you guys asked to interview me on this podcast, I spent most of my time thinking about this question. <laughs> so also ADD, I just looked over and there's a book called Outwitting Cats. 
on the shelf. <laughs> and it's That's taking it, almost Jen's all of my Bible. willpower not go over there right now and just do a dramatic reading of this book. So thank you for having that. Um, so anything I seemed unprepared for and sounded dumb about, it's because I spent most of my time thinking about this question. And so first I wanted to ask you, do you know what a group of raccoons is called? I love these, like, what are groups of animal questions? Um, no. It's got to be a bandit or something. You would think. I'm surprised we don't know the answer to that question, Jen. I feel like we're slackers all of a sudden. I, I feel like we're total slackers. But we're about to learn stuff, so that's, that's really right. cool. Yeah, we love I feel learning. Like it should be like a, ba- a heist. It should be a heist. <laughs> yes, a no. heist of raccoons. Oh, that's not it. <laughs> no, that's my idea. <laughs> so I'm spreading the be, word. That's brilliant. Some raccoons. <laughs> that's what it's called. A group of raccoons is called some raccoons. Like S O M E, some? Yeah. Like what? The laziest. That's the lamest thing I've ever heard. Uh, right? <laughs> Why? That's Why does this world me. fail me? So I'm going to spend the weekend researching deeply into who gets to name these things. Like, who? where does this come from? Yeah, because that is an yeah. awful, awful name. And there's so many better ones for right. a raccoon. We already came some up with two that are raccoon. a million exactly. times better than a sum. Anyway, so who would win in a fight? My answer is this. I think it depends on where, like, the context of the fight. Because Ooh. a farmed mm-hmm. salmon had, lacks the genetic diversity for it to adapt and be resilient in a changing environment. It is not mm-hmm. adapted to a lot of different things. It's it's designed to live in a specific environment. So full of disease and feces. If the fight <laughs> took place in that specific environment, I would go with the farmed salmon. But any other place, I'm going trash panda hundred yeah. percent. So, all the so way. if the Atlantic salmon that escaped up in Canada, if they came in contact with the trash panda outside of their pens then yeah no the trash panda would win a hundred percent they're wily yeah they are they're crazy little hands they're super crazy scary wily i thought one was gonna open my back door and come in my house i had to quick reach up and lock the door There's an amazing video of like 20 trash pandas under this wood porch and their little hands are like reaching up. Oh, so creepy. And it's like a horror film. It's amazing. Also, they whinny when they're really upset. Have you ever heard them? I used to do wild life, so I've trapped them. And they make a weird noise when they're real angry at you. When you put them so in a I'm making a note here that I need to Google mm-hmm. 20 trash panda video <laughs> with their little fingers. We can add that to the links. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Is there anything that you'd like to share that we haven't asked about or covered already? As far as marine debris, there's a marine debris listserv that you can sign up for if you're really into it. Interesting. You guys checked it. Yeah, I copied all these resources, so I'm going to be sending you. Excellent. <gasps> Yay! Yes. Um, so, are you, have you guys heard of Octo? Octo is the open communications for the ocean, and it has a bunch of services. So, they have um, one of the things they do is they host a marine debris listserv. So, you can sign up and get all the depressing information in your inbox. Wow. Um, so, if you're really into we it, love sending depressing yeah. information to yeah. our listeners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they also moderate a, a bunch of like marine science nerd stuff. So, cool. Yeah. 
check them out. And then um, the other last resource is beachopedia.org, which is uh, Surfrider has a sort of like online resource collection. It's like a collection house of coastal environmental topics by activists and experts. So cool. that's where we house a lot of the information and reports that we do. Awesome. Yeah. Or as Jen would say, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. I can't help it. <laughs> Everything's interesting. Last but not least, will we make it out alive? Absolutely not. <laughs> I think that's been well established. <laughs> well, with the amount of microplastics, climate change, and everything dying, it's kind of seeming really, really, really gl- glimdum. What if we suck up the nurdles and spray <gasps> them into the sky and block out the sun? Ooh. Temporarily. I feel like... Right. It, like for a moment it could be really beautiful and then when we realize what we've done we would be like no why did we do that Worth so it. many nerdles everywhere it's just like a eyes. glitter bomb yeah. well i want to just thank you so much for joining us liz uh we've kept you for much longer than we said we would and i apologize it's for okay. that but thank you for for working with this organization we think it's so great that there's this opportunity uh, in Olympia for people to plug into a couple of different programs that all are doing things that we think are really great. And we hope that more people sign up and help out and get interested and try to say no more to this horrible, horrible plastic epidemic. The scourge. I'm very excited to see the maps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to have a public pressure to make them actually appear. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for inviting me and letting me talk about Surfrider and uh, for having an awesome podcast. Well, it's thank totally, you. I've been binging it and I've loved it. It's great. Excellent. I'm so happy to hear that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so there you have it. The end of episode 19. We hope we have yet again inspired you to make it out alive. In this episode, we shared a short story about how the plastic problem has been visible in remote places for at least 20 years. And then we met up with Liz, the Olympia Surfrider volunteer coordinator, to hear a little bit more about their programs, opportunities to get involved in beach cleanup work, and what Liz's previous work has shown about plastic bag bans. Very cool. Please join us for our next episode royalty of the sea Mm. yeah please don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts please let us know what you think at outalivepodcast.com or facebook.com will we make it out alive also if you are visually inclined check out our youtube page still only two episodes up there unfortunately unfortunately Our intern decided to work on other stuff, but we did love her videos a lot. Yes. Also, if you have story ideas, please feel free to share those. And if you've heard anything in this episode that doesn't jive with science and facts, please let us know and we will make corrections in a future episode. Because we care about facts and don't want to spread misinformation. Also, as I said before, that's how science do. Exactly. We're all about the facts. Exactly. Until next time, will will we make make it out alive? Goodbye, Jen. Goodbye, Amy. This is Amy signing off. And this is Jen signing off. I already said goodbye to you, though, Jen. (laughs) I'm saying goodbye to our (laughs) listeners now. Goodbye. Fine.
All right. Until next time. <laughs> Goodbye.